This interview and the entire Building a Story Brand podcast is brought to you by 5MinuteMarketingMakeover.com. Three five-minute videos that will revolutionize your marketing. If you're tired of looking at your website, wondering why browsers are not being converted to buyers, these three five-minute videos will help. Either spell it out or use the number, doesn't matter, 5MinuteMarketingMakeover.com. You can also text the word MAKEOVER to 72000. That's MAKEOVER to 72000, and I will send you those free videos. This episode is also brought to you by StoryBrand.com. If you want to attend a live workshop with your peers, with people who are trying to grow their business, just like you are, you can register at storybrand.com. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 5 of the Building a Story Brand Podcast. JJ, it's great to be back with you. So fun, always. I, I think we're on a roll this season. We've had some amazing interviews. I've loved every one of them. I know I say that. I feel bad because like sometimes it's like, oh, I just kind of gush, but... The only reason we pick these people is because we love them. Yeah, and <laughs> so, they're brilliant. I yeah. mean, they're, they're, they're and, super helpful. And everything is so practical that they give us. Well, today, I actually thought of you quite a bit while I was doing this interview. We went yeah. to Ben Crane's house. He's a PGA golfer. He's been on the tour for 15 years. Okay. And he talks about a lot of things on the podcast. The reason that I thought about you is because he just talks about endurance and keeping uh -huh. going. So I thought yeah. about you getting your dissertation and yeah. <laughs> your career. And, you know, yeah. we have these friends who do these things and you just go... How do you just keep going? Yeah. And he talks about how you just keep going well, and how you succeed. And people refer to me as the Tiger Woods of podcasts. So <laughs> I get that a lot. So I'm sure that probably subconsciously. In was the in your sense mind. that you keep driving the podcast into a tree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Inappropriate. <laughs> Too far. Inappropriate. Uh, we talked to Ben about the mental game. And yes. I think there's a lot of people, you know, I have this, this feeling. You know, we interviewed Scott Hamilton in last year's podcast. Yeah. There are always going to be people who are more talented than us, yep. have more skill than us, but they don't have to outwork us. We can beat them if we outwork them. Yeah. I talk about this a little bit with Ben about how a lot of people look at successful people and they go, oh, well, they won the lottery. Oh, yeah. That drives me nuts. It is. It, it drives me nuts. It's victim mentality. There is a level where people are born with certain talents that yes. others are not. I was not born to be an NBA basketball player. <laughs> I was not born for that. However... People who reach to that level of success, they may have had a few steps ahead of us, but they work so hard. Yes. And you meet these guys, you realize, oh, that's why. I remember watching a, a documentary about Jerry Seinfeld, uh -huh. and he was sitting outside a cafe after Seinfeld, the television show had closed, and he was trying to reinvent his career, coming up with a new, uh, you know, comedy routine. And, you know, he was just half working at it. And he saw a guy in a construction hard yeah. hat cross the street. And he said, you know what? This is a job. I need to get up every morning at 6 a.m. and yep. work on my job. That's the difference often between somebody who succeeds and somebody who doesn't. And, yeah. I, and we pull a lot of that out of this interview with Ben. Yeah, it's fantastic. He gives some real practical advice and kind of walks us through a little bit of what his routines are like, some of the things he does. It's changed me, yeah. you know, even the way I approach things. Yeah, I, I mean, for the whole week after doing this interview, I was getting up early, I was going through my goals, I was doing the things that Ben talks about, and I just saw a rapid rise in productivity even in that week. It's really about how we structure our time. I, we, he talks about the mental game, of course. He talks about how not to crack under pressure. He talks about focusing on the process and not the result. We tend yeah. to be so goal-oriented, a lot of people listen to this podcast. That's great. 
but we need to be thinking every day, what is my routine every yeah. day that is going to get me to my goals? Yeah. A lot to learn from Ben Crane. Yeah. And, you know, Ken Blanchard talked about in his interview early in the season about how we need to take kind of these times away from work and take some times to ask questions and reflect and just kind of get away. And what I love is that Ben actually gives three questions to ask yourself, kind of at the end of a season, at the end, he does it at the end of every uh, round, but at the end of kind of a season or time in your life, here's three questions that you can ask to kind of move forward to the and next even season. At the it's end a, of I love every it. day. Yeah. Three questions. They're so powerful that you can ask yourself at the end of every day. And I'm not going to give them away. Yeah. I'm going to let Ben <laughs> share them with you. But uh, he was kind enough to let us into his home. By the way, so cool. He's got, like a, he's got a workout room <laughs> in his home that has a full putting green, and he can hit a ball into a net and a computer <laughs> that watches him do that and analyzes the swing. And he's got this giant TV that he puts his coach on, so he and his coach are watching. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I mean, it's every amateur golfer. It's their dream come true. <laughs> but he let us into his home, and uh, we recorded this interview with Ben. So grateful for it. I learned a lot. If you want to drive closer to perfection – if you want to achieve excellence in your business, if you want to develop routines that will ensure your success, and if you want to know the three questions to ask yourself at the end of every day, <laughs> yes. keep listening. Here's my interview with Ben Crane. Ben, thanks for joining us. You got it, buddy. I think we have a lot of golf fans listening to this podcast who are going to be excited to hear from you. I love it. You know, I get excited when I talk business and yeah. um, just growth. Because you like that side of it too, right? I do. I, I love learning. I love growing. I love just new information. I always say if I wrote a book today, I hope I'd burn it in a year because I've grown so much and learned yeah. so much more, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, driving over here, I was um, thinking about what you do and the pressure of what you do. And you're in a sport where you basically are trying to wake up every day and achieve perfection and you can't it's just not going to happen and that got me wondering how you stay motivated i mean you have got to be excellent every single day and we've all played golf we all know we can hit an occasional good shot and that kind of gets you hooked how, how do you stay motivated mentally to keep pursuing it yeah i mean i don't really have any trouble with motivation. I'm always looking for ways to get better. That's just something God's put inside of me and I just enjoy. I enjoy working at it. It's a gift. And so I don't have any problem with with that. What I struggle with is I keep thinking, you know, I'm, I've been on tour now. This is my 15th year on tour. What I keep thinking and what I, I I'm keep reminding myself that is not true is that I'm going to find the silver bullet. That mentally I'm going to find the thought or I'm going to come across a way of thinking and, and it'll just get easier and it never does, you know? And, and so it's so hard and, you know, hard work is hard. You have to make incremental little bits of growth each day and, and just build on it, you know? But the reality of it is that when I get in the tournament and when I get on that first tee, you're going to be nervous. It's going to be awesome, but what work did you do mentally to prepare for that and what will carry you? And that's the, you know, that's the thing that, that I cannot, if I go into it thinking, well, maybe this little silver bullet way of thinking will work and I'll just all of a sudden experience total peace when I'm playing, it doesn't exist, right? Mm -hmm. It's hard. It's yeah. just flat out hard. 
So it's fascinating to me that you're you're describing something that is true, very much true in life, and in probably a lot of our businesses. And I just interviewed Ken Blanchard for the podcast, and he talked about education because he has a PhD, is very similar to business, and he learned about business from you know working through Cornell to get his PhD. Is it's an endurance game. And like you, he mm-hmm. said, people start looking for the silver bullet, but the people who succeed are the people who just have these routines of getting up every day and putting a little something on the plot, having a kind of work ethic where they just keep going. And I have all these young writers come to me and they want to write a book or they want to be, you know, they, they think I've arrived, which I'm looking around going, I, I don't know if I've <laughs> I've not arrived. I don't know. Right. You know, I'm just working. You know, they bring me this really beautiful flower and they say, see, I want to be a writer. And I say, it's not a flower. It's a, it's a field that you plow with a tractor mm-hmm. at the right season every year mm. and you lose about 75% of the crop. <laughs> right. And all you're looking at is my tomato stand thinking it magically came, right? right. It, so it is just this work ethic every day that you get up and you keep doing it. And and I, I think I want to emphasize that and ask you if you think it's true, how much of it is skill, God-given talent, and how much of it is, man, I'm just outworking you. I'm, you know, I'm just up every day working. Yeah. Yeah. So there's the hours, right? 10,000 hours. You know, I added up my hours a couple of years ago and I think I'm at 35,000, you know, mm-hmm. concentrated hours of purposeful practice and preparation. You're right. It's not the, it's not these beautiful ripe tomatoes that just appear because you're gifted. I think it's the work ethic. I think it's the, um, you know, what I do today, what I do this morning matters. It really matters. Um, you know, and one of the the coach for the University of Miami uh, basketball team, they're in the you know Sweet Sixteen, and he says, you know, you can't just step into the NCAA tournament and turn it on, right? You have to turn it on this morning, seven days out, right? It's a it's a lifestyle, and so you know, tomorrow's great performance is today's great habit. I think is the best way to describe it, right? Is that is that yeah, we we work, we till, we um. We spend time, you know, doing the things that matter each day and, you know, purposeful, meaningful practice, you know, today will show up tomorrow. That's something that I'm, I'm learning. I'm, yeah, I'm 15 years in and um, feel like I'm starting to understand and, and, and find my stride on how to improve at this game because it's, it's hard. We're downstairs kind of in your den, upstairs in your house, you've got a whole facility <laughs> mm-hmm. that you go up and you you know you can hit a golf ball against a, a net and you've got a putting green upstairs in your house uh you've got a video monitor that you can bring in your coach so he can watch your swing and analyze your swing you know when you showed me that for the first time um i realized you know like an idiot i realized oh you, this guy just didn't come out of the womb swinging <laughs> right. <laughs> right he's been working at this what does a day look like what is commitment to attempting achieve perfection look like for you? Well, I mean, this golf studio that, you know, has a, a one, two, and a 3% slope uh, because that's what we're going to face on tours. Upstairs. Uh, upstairs. We built that in. Yep. A, a putting green. We, yep. We built that into the putting green upstairs. Uh, I've got a launch monitor that tells me, um, you know, everything you'd ever want to know about a club uh, approaching a golf ball and and what what your golf ball is doing and we're constantly looking at all those numbers and all that uh, computer technology is up there watching it, swing. It's all there. I'm but but out of all the the stuff that's up there that I use to 
try to improve my game and all that. My whiteboard is is by far my most valued asset. All the writing that's on that whiteboard up there um, is my workouts, is my goals for uh, where I want to be, you know, in my different exercises to um, achieve more uh, mobility. And so we have a whole plan in place uh, of where we want to be, you know, in three months with my workouts, you know, and then we, we have a mental plan. Um, I'm running a direct affirmation right now with my mental plan. Um, and it's my, my screensaver on my phone. I hear you, you're saying we quite a bit. I'm hearing components of successful businesses and everything that you're saying. Uh, one is a plan, mm-hmm. uh, having the plan on a, on a whiteboard and executing the plan. Yeah. Plan your work, work your plan. Yeah, exactly. So if we don't have a plan, we're not, we're going nowhere. Correct. And a lot of us are struggling with goals that we haven't achieved and we don't know why. And we probably don't have a plan. We probably just wake up every day and go, I wish I had that. And that's not a plan. You put together a plan. You say, we have a plan. So I'm hearing plan and then I'm hearing team. Yep. Like you think of a golfer standing alone at the tee and you're not. You've got a team behind you, just like we do, CEO, COO, CFO, all that kind of stuff. So first of all, walk me through how you developed your plan and who developed it with you, your workout plan. Everything is driven by results of past performances. I've had trouble with my hip, had trouble with my back, right? Why have I had trouble in those areas? Well, then I go to the, the experts, you know, these guys evaluate me. He creates this whole like, okay, this is where we need to go. These are how many of these types of sit-ups you would need to be able to do in order to that when you're fatigued at the end of the day, you're still using your abs, you're not using your low back, right? So he creates this whole plan and he goes, and by the way, it's on you. And so it's been 18 months now and I've missed one workout. Unbelievable. And and so I do some stuff in the morning, I do some stuff in the afternoon, uh, uh, and then I tuck my wife and my wife and I, um, you know, we pray before, that's just one of our things we do before we go to bed every night, tuck my wife in the bed. And then not once, it's funny, not one time in 18 months have I wanted to get out of bed and do my exercises. Not one. You'd think like just one night I'd be motivated. I just, but not one time. And so, so this is amazing to me because it's not, we usually think of, well, first mistake is, oh, they won the lottery, right? They just, right. they were born an amazing basketball right. player. They were born a great golfer. That's a myth. Yeah. It's a huge myth. And then second, well, they just have some kind of motivation and self-discipline that I don't have, which I think to some degree is still true. But that idea that you don't want to wake up and do this, what overpowers for you that I don't want to do this? Something overpowers it and you get it done. Yeah, two things. One is I said I was going to do it, right? I said I'm going to do it. Being a man of your word is important to you? Totally, totally. And Even so, to yourself. Absolutely. Like you didn't promise anybody else this. You promised yourself this, and, which is and, a huge and, component of, I've found of successful people. They keep their word to themselves. Yep, and I also told my uh, my trainer. I said I, I will do this every day. I won't miss. He has a life of work, right? He's worked his whole life to learn everything that he knows to be able to help people, right? I was about to lose my career because of health. I was about to the game was slipping away because I couldn't play practice rounds. My body had had too much explosive rotation to the left, you know, for for so long. And so because I realized I was about to lose my game, I had a choice. I could either find and um, figure out a way to get healthy so I could practice at the level I need to to compete at the highest level on the PGA Tour, or I could do something else. But God has gifted me to do this. Mm -hmm. He's given me desire to do this. Um, And through prayer, it was like, you know, Lord, you have not, you've continued to open these doors in golf, and I want to pursue that. And so 
I get up out of bed and I go over to my mat and I half asleep start. And then by the end of it, I'm, you know, how many, how many mornings, seven days a week, how many mornings are you doing that? So the evening session, I never miss. And it takes about 15 to 30 minutes. And this is generally at, you know, 1030 at night. Sometimes it's one in the morning or, you know, it just doesn't matter, but I do it. Um, the morning warm up takes 30 minutes and, um, the workout that I'll do, um, three to four days a week is about two hours. Okay. It's a lot, but what better investment can I make? Right. Like, I mean, this is, this is it. You know, one of our guests was, uh, Scott Hamilton, who's a good friend. And Scott said to me, and I've repeated it many, many times and I'll, and I'll just keep repeating. There's always going to be people who have more talent than you, right? But you can outwork them. Mm-hmm. It really taught me something Absolutely. that these people who are succeeding are working their butts off. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I started getting emotional when I started to tell you that I got out of bed every yeah. single yeah. night. You're working. To me, that is the most relieving thing. And I think our listeners hopefully agree to hear in the world because it means they've got a shot. Right. They've got a shot to grow their business. They got a shot to save their marriage. They got a shot to be a great mom. They got a shot to do all this stuff. If they and, and you can't control everybody else, but you can control yourself. And we can all all of us can control how hard we work. Yeah. And I think we all need a team, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, my friend asked me, what is it the thing? Like your career goes up and down. He draws this wave on the whiteboard. And he, and he Xs the place at the just past the bottom of, the, of one of the waves where it's just starting to ascend in the right direction. And he says, what are these moments where you're at the bottom, where you're, you're playing terrible, you're frustrated, but, but it just starts to go in the right direction. You know, and you're on your way up. What, what, is, what is the theme of these moments? And I said, you know, it's funny. As soon as you said that, I realized. He said, what? And I said, it's my team meeting. I win all the time after my team meeting. Uh, I've got a team of people, and we all sit around a table once a year, and uh, we have our team meeting. I mean, of my, of my six wins on the PGA Tour, since I've been doing a team meeting, three out of four of them, I have my best golf. Like, it's like, Wow. When I have a plan and it's crystal clear, right? We just achieve clarity in that moment. And I have a list of the things that I do because I wake up every day and I go, what am I supposed to be doing in? And I look at the plan and then I work the plan and I execute it and I dominate. And I go, I will not fail executing the plan. I might fail and we might work up a new plan, but I will do what I've set out to do. And if it doesn't work, awesome we can check that off and we can go to the next thing. But it's interesting that when I have that clarity, I mean, I-, I And have, the community around the clarity. Exactly. And the, and the people the backing you up and you're not alone. You were describing Duhigg's, he's wrote a book called The Power of Habit, which you, you probably read. And he talks about habits are created when there's a cue, a routine, and a reward. Hmm. And then changing habits really almost only happen when you have a cue, routine, reward, and two other components that I found very interesting. One is belief mm. that you can change the habit, and then the fifth one, community. Hard. When you are doing that in community, and you're talking about your cue is getting out of bed, your routine is the workout, which is no fun. Your reward is you become a better golfer, but that is not enough. Your belief, because you've got a serious, deep level of belief that you can be a great golfer. It's coming from somewhere. But you believe, probably from practice and routine. Absolutely. And, a little bit of reward in there, winning some tournaments. So that belief has been embedded in you. And then what you just described is that fifth element. You got people around you 
and you put those things together and it feels like a magical recipe for success. Yeah, that team, my team is so important to me. How much of your success do you think are these, cue I get out of bed, get down on the mat, 30 minutes of this, then I do this, I do this two and a half hours a day. I have accountability to make sure I'm doing it and I just repeat these things until it becomes automatic. The habits that I've created become automatic and they help me win. There's no question. I don't know what percentage, but it's a very, very high percentage, largely because if I go the wrong direction, and most of the time... Going the wrong direction, it looks like what? Looks like working on the wrong thing in my swing that produces a ball flight that... Chasing gets, rabbits. We would call that chasing rabbits. Yep, it gets yep. me in trouble, right? But if I set out a plan and I work the plan and it doesn't work, I have the history of the plan because it's written down and I can look at it soberly with my team. We can go, we just need to tweak this. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but most of the time, if you have your team and you agree on it, most of the time you're going the right direction. But even if you aren't, you still are going the right direction if you're executing the plan because you can check something off your list. My friend Rory Vaden writes down his goals every day and reviews them. Mm. How often are you looking at your plan, reviewing your plan, keeping yourself? I, I love this idea of not chasing rabbits. Yeah. Everybody listening can identify yeah. with chasing rabbits. So I just did a vision document and it's everything in my life that I have a plan on and it's on one sheet of paper. The question is how often am I refining this plan and, and working on it? Every day I'm looking at this, making sure that it's tidy. You know, And at the top of it, if you ask me just like, Okay, you have a lot of things that you're working on, but at the end of the day, you're like you're working towards one thing. Mm -hmm. What is the one thing that you're yep. just going to dominate this week, this month, this year? Like, what is the one thing? And for me, the theme is quiet mind. Mm. I work in the gym. I work on my mental game. I work on my physical game, and I practice and do these techniques and reps and stuff. I do all of that for one thing. I want to achieve one thing this year quiet mind. When I had a putt to win in Malaysia, as one of the only times I've had like a, a sizable putt, we're tied, we're on the last hole, and I got a putt to, to win the tournament, to make a million dollars, and to have the best year of my career, 2010. As I'm walking over the fringe onto the green, you know, everyone's around, the, the, we're in Malaysia, and all the people are walking up behind me, and so everyone's, everyone's around, Everybody knows this putt is to win. And I say a prayer to my caddy, Joel. Lord God, just give us the peace and joy to just execute the way that, um, that we can. And I get up over that putt, and you know what I thought about? Nothing. <laughs> it was quiet. Which is the... Which is the result of countless hours of work. Thousands <laughs> and thousands of hours of work. What are we trying to a dominate this year? Skill. Yes. I've done all these things so I can achieve one thing. So I I get up over the putt and I think about nothing. And my body just hits it. And I look up uh, with about four feet to go of the 12 feet. And I can see the ball just curling right into the center of the hole. And as it was about maybe two feet short of the hole, this electricity of <laughs> adrenaline just comes over my body, you know, that just starts leading the fist pumps um, as my manager and caddy come over and we just embrace into the, the strongest hug you've, you've ever felt. So um, the product of a quiet mind. And quiet mind, does it translate? 
is it a synonym in that context for automatic? Are they the same where you're yeah. not having to go, should I do this, should I do that? Yeah. It's a total I've trusting I've been here before. Place. I know what I'm doing. I've done the work. I've got this. Yeah. It's where, you're, where your subconscious, you trust your subconscious to run the show. Yeah. Right? Automatic. Absolutely. You train so hard so that it happens. Yeah. Man, this is so inspiring because it literally, as you're talking, and I think as people are listening, I'm saying, okay, well, I'm not a golfer. You know, I'm a writer. I run a business. And I'm literally going, what are the things that I need to filter out of my life? What are the things that actually move me forward toward my goals? And I'm hearing, hit the writing shed every day. Get a, at least a couple paragraphs done. My life moves forward when I get my writing. Hmm. When I get my writing. Hmm. That's my work. Yeah. My work is my How do life. I cultivate the soil around that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And how, how, do I- you keep, how do you have a quiet mind? Because all of us have to sit down. You know, I just met with a firm in Canada uh, going into a meeting that was worth $180 million. We talk about not having a quiet mind. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> and we developed a plan. Uh, new CEO of a company is going to decide whether or not to give them a $108 million contract. He's uh, uh, very visionary. Mm. He is not a detailed thinker. And the more we in, we talked about who this man was and how he made decisions, we understood he wants clarity. Mm. He doesn't actually even want better performance or improvement. His mind longs for clarity. Mm. So our whole plan was how do we deliver clarity? Mm. And they got the $180 million contract. Love that. But this, this ability to just kind of go, this is what moves me forward and this is what i'm going to focus on mm-hmm. it, what i hear you saying all right the mental game okay because <laughs> i think that's the part that everybody can identify with right how do you not crack under pressure the thing that i work the hardest at i would say right now is to not think about the result but to execute the process and so um in golf that's, that, that's huge right not think about the result and let the that pull of the environment, let that drive you to what it is that you set out to do, which is your plan, which is execute the process. So for me, yeah, I half have, of us are sitting there going, I don't even have a process. All I think about is going out every day and trying to win. Right. Never even create a plan. Right. No process. But, but you know, when we use our minds to think about winning, we, we've already missed it. Right. Um, we have to set that aside for incremental little little strokes of growth and um, and we have to put the plan in place. And for me, my process on a shot looks something like this. We take in all the information, the wind, where we want to land the ball, um, obviously the yardage, where safety is, where trouble is, um, how much risk we want to take, uh, and we design a shot. So that's all, this is all preload, okay? Uh, so we gather all that information, then we go into rehearsal. What does it feel like to make that swing, right? So now all I'm thinking now about- Now you're mentally doing it before you even get up there. Correct. So then, I, so then I rehearse. After the rehearsal, then I go to, we call it the point of initiation, which is the starting point, okay? So at the point of initiation, the starting point, I take a deep breath and I put my left hand on my left thigh and I go, this is the beginning of my mental program. And at that POI. Physical cue, little physical cue. 100%. Got to have a physical cue to make sure that you remember to routine. do it. routine. You're doing a routine. Yep. And it, it reminds you that you did it, you didn't skip over it, and you're not hurrying. When I put my hand on my side and I take that breath, everything begins to come down. So my mind was kind of up 
during the preload, which is gathering the information and the rehearsal, my mind is up, mental energy is high. We're designing the shot. At the point of initiation, things begin to quiet down. It's the beginning of quiet, right? So as I point of initiation, I step in and I go to an alignment phase where I'm aligning myself. Now, I'm doing all these things with my conscious mind so that I can get ready to use my subconscious, right? So I can so I can hand it off, right? So then I go to an alignment phase and then I go into confirmation where I make sure, okay, yes, I'm aligned. Um, and then I go confirmation, that's my last look. I do three looks. And then I look back at the ball and we call it the POF, point of focus. I put my point of focus. Now, everyone who's listening right now, take your eyes and stare at something. Your mind goes quiet. It just goes quiet, right? And so I do all this to then stare at the golf ball. My mind goes quiet for one to, and between one and three seconds, mine's about one and a half seconds, I stare at the ball. And then my subconscious just takes the club away and it just does what you prepare, what you loaded in your brain. Correct. It plays the CD that you loaded. It, Correct. Yeah. Now that's all important, but what I'm going to tell you next might be the most important. Now the brain always focuses most on what just happened, but it doesn't know if what just happened actually happened or you imagined it. Okay. So let's say, I hit a good shot. I will go over and we call it the reload. I will reload the good shot because it I'll reload maybe the most important part, the quiet mind, what the swing felt like. But if I hit a bad shot, now I've got what we call an OTE, an opportunity to excel. And that OTE is, is that, yeah, I just hit a bad shot. I saw it, I didn't like it, doesn't feel good. But I've got an opportunity to reload the correction. And that's the most important part because the correction, what you picture last, will affect you the rest of the day. It'll affect so you. You literally just picture that shot going right, going correctly. My caddy never says right, he says correct. <laughs> you don't <laughs> want to say right as a golfer. That's exactly <laughs> That's correct. You picture that shot, you take your body back through the feeling of that great shot. Ben, how damaging is it somebody walks out of an important sales meeting, somebody just delivered a keynote, something went wrong, they're fixated on it, they're walking back to their hotel room, they're going, you're a loser, I can't believe you did that, I can't believe you screwed that up, I can't believe you said that, I can't believe you didn't remember that guy's name, I can't believe, how damaging is that? Focusing on the that is, I mean, one it, thing you did wrong. Oh my gosh. It's it's so damaging. I think it has potential to ruin everything. It's not the, It's not the habit of a champion, is it? It's not, it's not. And with reloading, right? So the best thing to do is think about the solution because the more you write about, think about, picture something, the more likely it is to happen, right? Yeah. And it's biblical. Whatever's true, right, lovely, honorable, worthy of praise, concentrate on such things. And so I think it's so important that we do concentrate on those things, especially after we make a mistake, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and that mistake is an opportunity to grow. It's an OTE, opportunity to excel and to picture, okay, the next time I'm in that meeting, the next time I have that situation, I'm going to use a, an association with the name or I'm going to I'm going to be calm in that moment. You know, go into it with peace or you know whatever it is, like make the correction, make it become more like you in that situation to execute it perfectly. Yeah. And then the next time you get in there, it's going to be automatic. Yeah. 
Right. Oh, there's some awesome stuff here. I want to close with the three questions you ask yourself after every tournament, or maybe after every day, after yep. every round. I'm every not sure. round. Yep. Uh, and they're they're fantastic. I mean, we you talked about these over dinner, and I've never stopped thinking about them. In fact, we talk about them as a staff sometimes, or Tim and I talk about them. Yeah. But talk to me about the three questions you ask after every every round. Yeah. So every round, um, I want to give my team an update of how I'm doing, so they have an opportunity to know how to coach me and to respond. And so I go to my iPhone and I click the voice recording, and I talk about three things, and. It's funny because every time I pick up the phone and I click that, I think about something that I don't like, right? Or negative, right? I mean, it's just like habit. But I have a plan and so I talk about what I did well. It's so hard to do that, but I've trained myself to do it because it's what our team has set out to do. So I talk about what I did well, I talk about what I learned, and I talk about what I'm gonna do about what I learned. And those three things are all positive imprints because there's no mistakes. It's just learning, right? It's just OTE, just opportunities to excel with our learning and to make corrections, right? So I'll say, you know, what I did well today was um, I had a great sense of running my program today. I was very committed to my program and we score every mental program. So every mental program, how well I go through that program, I, I score it with my caddy. One to five. Five is great. A one is I was thinking about the result and worried. Uh, a five is what I described on that putt. Quiet mind, baby. Mm. And uh, and so I finish every day like that. Okay, so what I learned? I learned that when I have a ball above the feet, the ball will generally go left and I need to make a slight correction with my alignment and with my club face. Or and I might I might have three things I learned. And then I'll write those also in my journal. And so then... What am I going to do about what I learned tells me, I mean, it gives me an opportunity to, when I get that ball above the feet, oh my gosh, I can't wait. You kidding me? Yeah. I got such an advantage. It's going to go. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all, all positive inference. So I think, you know, so it is with, with you guys, right? What did I do well? What did I learned? And what am I going to do about what I learned affects everything for the rest of our lives. Yeah. Even asking ourselves at the end of every day, maybe a little pe- like index card on, on our bedside table. Yeah. Pick it yeah. up. Ben, what's been the highest point of your career? My, my favorite part of my career is, is doing it with. Hmm. Doing it with my friends, doing it with you know my wife, doing it with my family. Um, Being able to take all these people on such an amazing journey is, is, yeah. is a gift. God is telling a story in us that is so fun uh, to be a part of, and it's so hard, uh, yet so just electrifying, enjoyable. Um, we won two years ago in Memphis at the FedEx St. Jude Classic. And uh, I didn't get into the US Open the next week. And right after we won, I I, uh, I called my wife and I said, baby, I, you know, I'm not supposed to win. Tiger Woods is supposed to win. I'm not supposed to win. I'm coming home to Portland. I want you to call all of our friends. I want you to get food trucks. I want you to set up the lights. I want you to get a DJ. I want you to dance floor. And I said, we're going to blow it out. And she's like, are you serious? I'm like, you're dang right. I'm like, I'm not supposed to win. So when God delivers and serves ice cream, we celebrate, right? And then Heather and I got up and just told our story, our journey about the last two years and how hard they were and how we finally got to the place in the hardship of going, Lord, 
Don't let this suffering and hardship and disappointment stop until you fully teach us everything you want us to know in this time. Mm-hmm. And and as God is and, and who he is, he shifted us through that season into a place of, you know, victory. Like, yeah. God, wow. So long answer to your, your question. What's my favorite part? Just with. Yeah. Doing it with. Yeah. So. Well, that just sounds like pure health. Ben, this has been an awesome conversation. Don, it's been awesome, man. Great to, great to be with you, brother, as always. If you've been listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast for a while, you're probably wondering what's next. You've probably sat around thinking, you know, I've got to bring my marketing into this next evolution. I've got to clean up the clutter and see a better response from customers. If you want to get started for free, just go to 5minutemarketingmakeover.com. You can either spell it out or use the number. doesn't matter. 5minutemarketingmakeover.com. I will give you three five-minute videos that if you just execute what I say in those videos, you will definitely see results. It is the best place to start. 5minutemarketingmakeover.com. This segment is called How'd They Do It? And we basically talk to a story brand alumni Mm -hmm. who has seen dramatic results after clarifying their message and changing some of their marketing collateral. JJ, you made a call to Kelly. Yes. And she's Spitfire. She is a Spitfire. (laughs) I love Kelly. Yeah, she was fun. She works with federal employees and helps them understand their benefits. Oh, my gosh. You know, we get a lot of people saying, will story brand work for me, you know, and if if it works for Kelly. Yeah, (laughs) such a niche market. Very complicated. complicated. yeah. Yeah, very complicated thing that she does, she was always trying to explain to people what she did. And it was so complicated and always about her. And she went through StoryBrand and she changed basically one opt-in, like one piece of marketing collateral, the wording in it, the copy in it. And I don't want to give it away because it has changed her business. I mean, it's completely you changed know, it's her business. It's funny because we talk about people doubling their revenue after story brand and tripling and quadrupling. Obviously, we can't make that promise. But yeah. even on our website, we say some businesses have quadrupled their yeah. revenue. The truth is, Kelly saw a hundred times return on yeah. her investment yeah. in StoryBrand. <laughs> but you can't even say that because yeah. people are like, oh, they're oh, lying. Really? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But no. you're going to hear what she did and what happened. And it's a pretty fun story. Yeah. It couldn't happen to a better person. Yeah, I love it. So let's play that interview. Hello. Hey, Kelly. This is JJ from StoryBrand. How are you? I'm great, JJ. How about yourself? I am doing fantastic. Thanks so much for being on the podcast today. I'm excited to talk to you because of a number of things that I've heard that you have gone through after experiencing the StoryBrand framework. Tell me a little bit first about what you do. Well, JJ, by trade, I'm a financial advisor. I work with federal employees, U.S. government employees. Okay, yeah. So real specific, like a very niche market that you're trying to communicate with. Yes, exactly. Love it. So before StoryBrand, what were you struggling with? Well, what I kept on doing was getting in my own way. Because I kept on talking about what I did and how I did it. And I knew that that wasn't the right way to do it, but I couldn't figure out how else to do it. And the other problem, JJ, I was boring. <laughs> yeah, that that can often be a problem. And a lot of times people get boring just because they put too many words in something that people are never going to read. Because we think we need to communicate more information and really less gets people to the point quicker. Yes, sir. So then you ended up going through StoryBrand and you went through the online process, right? I did. And I still do. Oh, still you go back to it over and over again? I do. Oh, that's I fantastic. Do, because, that's so great. Because you are always going to find ways to apply more 
and learn more and expand more. Yes, yes, so true. That's awesome, Kelly. Well, what were the paradigm shifts for you? What kind of did you get out of going through the process? Biggest paradigm shift was that I could actually write good copy that worked and it didn't have to be like pulling hen's teeth out of my mouth. <laughs> when I sit down to write, I knew what I did was good for people, but yeah. I didn't know how to write about it in a way that was compelling. Yeah. And I got to tell you, when I tripped across your website, um, I knew you all knew how to communicate. I knew <laughs> you knew it. And because it was so compelling and I was just like getting out my credit card going, excuse me, but how do I get this? Yeah. Because I also trusted. <laughs> the other thing was, is that I trusted that you all had a true process, a framework mm-hmm. that could translate into value for me. A lot of folks out there with online training, they have all sorts of processes. Try to translate them. It doesn't work. Yeah. You guys stuff does work. Oh, that's great. So then when you started writing your copy, what were the things that you did differently after going through StoryBrand? Well, first things first, I completed my StoryBrand framework and I got it in front of me mm-hmm. while I wrote. And I outlined what I would do and how I would talk about it. And then I just simply thought from my customer's perspective. And really, I'm empathetic naturally, yeah. but I really got twice as empathetic and really realized their struggle is, is quite challenging and very, very scary for them. Yeah. And I wrote from that perspective. Oh, and nothing so about me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The idea that I, the business owner or salesperson, whatever you want to call me today, yeah. am not the hero. I repeat, yeah, yeah. I yeah. am not the hero. People need to tattoo that backwards on their forehead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they see it in the mirror every time they look. Yes, that, sir. So they uh, remember, it ain't about you, baby doll. It ain't about you. Yeah, that's a that's the big thing is just kind of that shift of saying it's not about me, it's about them. That's true. That's true. And then making that shift and then knowing. So I, I knew it wasn't about me, but I didn't know how to write it. That's what StoryBrand gave me. Wonderful. So you went through the process, you got your story brand in front of you, you began making the copy about your customer. And then how did things change for you after you kind of started using story brand? Well, the, the first big change was um, I went in, I have a little uh, opt-in lead magnet type thing. And my opt-in rates on a really great day were somewhere around 18, 20%, generally um, less than that. Yeah. And when I simply changed a couple paragraphs, included my three-step plan as a little visual, my opt-in rates went to 68 to 88%, depending upon <laughs> traffic source. Oh I was just goodness. like, I am on fire. Honey. Yeah. <laughs> you are fire, on fire. That is amazing. Oh, my goodness. And, and you know, folks I know out in, um, you know, out in some of the entrepreneurial communities were like, what'd you do? I said, it's simple. It's called story brand. They're like story. What? <laughs> and they said, well, you have to do the work. They won't do it for you. Yeah. But if you show up and you do the work, you can figure this out. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, no, it was, it was mind blowing. And you mentioned kind of something else too. There was one other thing that you mentioned that happened after you went through the framework. Yep. Yep. So, um, I, like I mentioned, I work with federal employees and from time to time I will compete um, and I will submit a proposal and it's all written. Nothing, it's all dry and all written. And uh, there was a proposal recently that I submitted. It was a six figure proposal. It was truly the second proposal I had ever submitted. Now, granted, I spent a lot of time on it, um, but I was awarded out of a nationwide competition. I was awarded the proposal and I used the story brand framework to describe 
the customer, the, well, in fact, the federal employee, the student oh struggle, gosh. but I also used the framework to figure out how the contracting officer who was going to make this decision, uh-huh. how they felt, Oh my! how goodness. they felt and, and what their true struggles are. And their big, the person who signs off on this, their biggest fear is they screwed it up and they brought the wrong person in. Yeah. And then everyone's going to be mad at them for doing it. Yeah, yeah. Kelly, that is amazing. Congratulations on that, by the way. That is unbelievable. So if you were going to give people who've either gone through the process or looking to improve their copy, if you were going to give them one tip, what kind of tip would that be? Uh, That would be to spend a lot of time in the problem area really thinking about, dig deep, go to that internal problem. And what is that person, honest to goodness, trying to solve? Yeah. What, you know, it's a cliche. We keep them up at 2 a.m. That doesn't really work. But really get in their shoes. Yeah. And then think from an empathetic perspective as their guide. Yeah. And and when you find yourself talking too much about you, uh, that's why they have a delete key on the on the keyboard, or you can strike it out if yeah. you handwrite. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Kelly, thank you so much. And your website is p to r project dot com. P the number two r project dot com. And I know you're yes, continuing sir. to kind of work through story brand and improve things even on your own website and through other stuff. So, Kelly, thank you so much, and congratulations so much on everything you're doing. Keep up the good work. Uh, you guys as well. Thank you. Well, listen, if you want to clarify your message, if you think your website could be converting more browsers into buyers, I've got a free resource for you. It's 5minutemarketingmakeover.com. These are three five-minute videos that will basically give you a checklist of everything that you need to do in order to communicate clearly in your marketing collateral. It is, I think, the best marketing resource on the internet, and it is completely free. 5minutemarketingmakeover.com. Either spell it out or use the number. Doesn't matter. You're going to go to the same place. Listen, this has been another terrific episode of Building a Story Brand Podcast. Music from this episode is from the album Black Bear by Andrew Bell, which you can listen to on Spotify or download on iTunes. We love Andrew. Andrew, thanks for the gift of your music. This podcast exists to help you clarify your message and grow your business, and we appreciate you listening. On behalf of the entire Story Brand team, thanks for listening.